Hi there. Hello, is this Brad? This is Brad. Hello, Brad. This is Mark. How are you doing, sir? I'm I'm great, Mark. What's going on? Oh, not a whole lot. Uh, just uh, trying to keep busy, you know. In the in the in the tundra. In in, in the tundra, yes. Though we actually have <laughs> rain now instead of snow, which is kind of nice. But uh, you got a lot of snow up there. <laughs> we have we got an inordinate amount of snow, especially in February. It was like all of winter decided to come at once. So. Uh, yeah, a lot of uh, we get a lot of precipitation out here, even in Sacramento and the Central Valley. Mainly after, kind of in the late winter months. That's where, in spring, man, we get a lot of water, a lot lately. Oh, I imagine. Uh, you know, I I have some friends who live in Seattle who are very familiar with rain. So. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I've spent some time there, too. So, so uh, yeah, reason we're talking, it's been a little while, but you've got a new film out now, Between the Trees, is out in uh, Amazon and for people to view, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it after uh, watching it. So, uh, uh, now this one you did direct, uh, but you didn't write. Uh, which I was surprised. I did not, no. No, but uh, if you could, because I always love getting this from the directors, uh, tell our audience who may not be familiar with it yet what Between the Trees is about. That's probably the the most fun part is watching people trying to explain what what the film is about because it 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 does have several layers to it. Um, you know, it's it's kind of along the same trope of uh, you know a bunch of guys going off into an isolated cabin somewhere in the wilderness and uh, no cell service and things going wrong and being trapped out there. Um, all of that's pretty traditional. What I, what really drew me to the story was that it kind of has an, a, a double antagonist in it um, that I, I thought uh, the movie The Edge when I read it, because um, where you have Baldwin trying to kill Hopkins, uh, that's one thing, and then the Bears trying to kill both of them. And this film is 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 really a lot like that. There are there are internal elements, there are external elements going on, and I thought, what a fun story! Because I kind of went into it thinking, oh, this is going to be the same old boring uh, trope, and it's not. It it just has a lot of different things. And then, of course, you know me, I kick in a few extra players here and there, just just for good measure. <laughs> yeah, uh, you do have some interesting players in this film, uh, including Marlon Mason getting to bring her back. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's a requirement. I have to, that was an agreement when we first worked together, which was quite a while ago. My first short that I did called Big, um, not the Tom Hanks film, of course, but uh, I, she worked with me that one time, and, and it really was my first film, but it was. Having her as such an accomplished actress, uh, I just loved working with her, and, and I, she just made me agree that I would put her in everything. And so she will surface um, in, in, in every film uh, as long as she's alive and available um, and to do it. But she's a hoot, <laughs> and she'll do, she'll do just about anything, too. That's what I love about her. Yeah, I, she had a couple scenes in here, not a lot of screen time, but the one scene in particular surprised the hell out of me, I'll tell you that much. Uh, well, I, you know, I can tell you why that scene existed, because I had been dealing with two flashbacks. One was the dream sequence with uh, 
with Greg James' character and the other one with Draper's character. And so um, I thought, well, why don't we just make this a series of dream sequences, but I need one for Johnny. And so I thought, just stereotypical, his stereotypical type of character that I was maybe going to hire a stripper or somebody. I was just going to do a do a shot like that. And then I, I got to thinking while I was uh, actually in the airport in Portland after we were editing. And I thought, why don't I get Marlon to do it? Because that would be so abstract just to throw her in out of the blue like that. And, and, and in the manner that she did it. <laughs> it's hilarious. So I drove back up to Portland. I went, we got home and we drove to Medford and we shot that little scene in her house. So uh, it was it was two takes, and I probably didn't even need the second one. But she's uh, she's just so much fun. Yeah, she she seemed to have fun in that scene. Now uh, uh, Johnny Lee plays one of your four characters in this, who are. Um, I will say uh, your four guys here kind of embody the various different. Uh, aspects of guys, kind of the trope, but also what what you end up kind of get when you get a group of guys together. Uh, you know, was that a conscious effort to kind of have them have that separation of you know the guy with the wedding, the the marriage problem, and Steve, Josh, the uh, you know the the guy who is uh, uh, the geeky guy. You got um, who's that? Dave was the uh, like tried. Uh, yeah, Dan Dan Kyle. Yeah, he's he's the most masculine looking of the bunch, <laughs> but the most feminine um, acting. And 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 somehow I don't know how this happened in wardrobe, but he ended up with with mom jeans. And <laughs> I, I still, when I watch his character, he's so. I mean, he's really has a huge presence about him, but. You know, I even like when he holds the coffee cup. It's so tiny, and he holds it kind of. You know, he's, he's it's very feminine character for as big and intimidating of a, of a guy he is. He looks like a big, you know, Russian soldier. Um, <laughs> he, and he he came on very late in the production. But uh, just to give you an overall a sense of this is that um, you know there's not a lot of I would say uh, depth to these characters. I mean, you don't really care that much about them and in this kind of a film where you have those characters you really don't know until you get everybody on the set and you start working what they're going to bring to that character um i tell you the truth i never rewrote the script until we got to the set and i remember the first night we shot up in uh, nevada city california about about 45 minutes or so outside of Sacramento um, and really isolated really. Cause I'm, you know, I like to shoot in Oregon because it's, there, there's just so many options there location wise that are rich. Um, and I rented, uh, there's three cabins on that property. So it, it held the entire casting crew. Um, and I know that the first night we all got settled in and I said, all right guys, let's go up to the top cabin, which is our filming cabin. I go, let's do a read through. And everybody's like, what? And then, I said, well, I don't really want to do a read-through. What I want to do is that tomorrow we're going to shoot a few of the light and fluffier scenes to get a feel of, for who you are as that character and what you're bringing, so I'll know. And then we'll adjust the script to it and make it fit. Um, and so we rewrote every day. Every morning we got up with coffee and, and donuts and just grabbed the script and uh, you know had one of the uh, office managers sit there and just basically transcribes what we were saying and changing because it didn't always fit each character, if you know what I mean. Sure. Well, once you got the cast together, you kind of see how they fit and you had to kind of tailor it so what they're comfortable with as well. 
Right. And the dialogue that was being, you know, uh, when you have larger budgets and you have casting directors, they go out and find the character that fits or, or the actor that fits the character. And obviously we don't have casting directors to do that. So it's more about letting the actor fit the character. Um, and, and that way I'm getting the best performance I can possibly get out of them. So from that emerges what you see on screen. Um, Michael Draper being probably the most surprising character for me um, <laughs> when we started filming. Right? Uh, Michael was amazing. I, I, just, I, I just absolutely loved him in this, this production. And as you notice, I kept, him, I kept him around in the film a lot longer than he was originally supposed to be. <laughs> I kind of got the gist of that because... <laughs> Uh, you're right. You got kind of two stories going on in here, which I liked because at first starting out, you're looking at it going, okay, another cabin in the woods type of story. Here right, we go. Right, right. And, yeah, and exactly. You, you know, you have this, these two running dark themes going through it, these two dark plots. And then you get to the, like the last 15 minutes of this film and suddenly mm -hmm. it's a completely different movie. Was that yes. kind of added yes. at the end? Yes. <laughs> when we started with that script, it was, I went back and looked at it because we came up and our running time was short. I mean, and I don't think this is any secret. Anybody who knows film watches this and go, well, that was, that was an afterthought. Um, and it was, and, and I really had to think about what were my options because we did come up short on running time. Um, but the, the script originally was only like 72 pages and I should have known I'm going to cut 20, at least sure. 10 um, and so by the time that we had, had done the first cut, I'm like, whoa, whoa, I need another 20 minutes. And um, I have a really talented writer that I work with out of Arizona uh, named David Jones. And I, I just I said, look, I, I, I've got to I've got to write something on. And it just made a lot more sense for a couple of reasons that, number one, I so much like that character. And I think if anybody you were rooting for, it would have been him, the most unlikely character to survive was the one that sort of does, I guess. Um, you know, you don't even know that by the end of it. But um, And then it was a matter of, like, reestablishing the entire crew. And I'm like, well, if I, just, if I just do Draper's continuing saga out in the woods, I only have to bring him in. And um, we did all of that up in Portland. So that was a completely different location that we shot that in. Well, it matched up well, so, uh, you know. But I guess... It did. I mean, you, if, you, if you look at the nuances of the outdoors, it's a little more, uh, I don't know, Jurassic Parky. There's a lot of ferns and that <laughs> kind of stuff. It's, but it's, it's very rich. I mean, I, I, I thoroughly loved it. And the, the old cabin and the, the piano. And, um, yeah, there, there, was just, there were some things that uh, uh, just that you probably don't won't catch unless you watch it again is that, the piano issue where, where in the beginning where he goes, well, they stop at the bar and that scene where he walks up the piano and just does a little ditty. That's right. all a reshoot. Again, we reshot the, um, the bar stuff there in zigzag Oregon up near Mount hood. And then when we did the cabin, it was a completely different group. So, um, but I realized when we rewrote that ending with, when we took the piano and all of that, which kind of goes along with the theme of between the trees, um, I had to go back and say, wait a minute, was, was there a piano in that bar? Because we need to establish at some point that he played piano in the beginning of the film. Right. So we went, went back and pulled the footage and we actually found, I mean, I'm like, I'm like my writer 
pulled up the, the still and he goes, look, there's a, there's a piano right there. I'm like, Oh, perfect. <laughs> so we actually reshot, we, we reshot. Yeah. This thing is really patchwork together, but, but fairly se- seamlessly at the end. I, I didn't, I thought it worked out kind of well, but, but yeah, for sure. That was, uh, that was my contrived tacked on Hollywood meet running time ending <laughs> for sure. But I had a lot of fun doing it. Well, it it adds fun to the the story, which uh, I actually watched the movie again just before uh, our interview here because I wanted to brush up on it. And one of the things I notice is how you you work the humor in also with the darker parts, and you actually kind of flow the tone pretty good with this film. Was that important to kind of have a little bit of humor peppered in with uh, a lot of the serious scenes you had in here? You know, it's probably, I would say that, see, I have a problem with, like, I really would love to do comedy, but Mm -hmm. because our limits in doing independent film and distribution, um, you know, practical distribution is is really lends itself heavier towards thriller and horror, more horror than anything. Um, I I, I like the levity of comedy in it, but I I like it played straight. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, if you remember Besetment, there was a lot of it in there, and I think it confuses the audience thoroughly <laughs> because at some at some point you think these two guys are working um, lines for like an Oscar award winning performance, and then there's a crazy old lady shooting a hole in the woods like uh, like a cart or in the in the in the roof at the bar like a cartoon scene, you know. Um, <laughs> I like the Ben tropes. I really, really do. And I, and I, I know that people are used to sitting through a film that's supposed to be this way, but I know I've watched a lot of other film by directors, um, that, and, and I'm mainly talking about directors like Lynch where I don't know what's going on there, but people (laughs) still seem to enjoy that, you know? Um, so if if you let yourself enjoy it, yes, it's very funny. Yeah, you, uh, which I do going into these because that's what I love about indie stuff is you get a little bit more freedom. It seems like to take chances or 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 turn things on their head like that. Uh, we're doing a series right now of special episodes covering David Cronenberg and mm-hmm. revisiting his stuff. It's like wow, there's humor in here when you shouldn't really be laughing, but you are. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly, and and that was. And I think Draper embodied exactly how I like to present it, present it because it was, it was, it was natural tension coming from him and how he was dealing with it. In all honesty, the other guys were really, really kind of stone cold and like, oh, let's just you know drink beer and play cards. And then he, you know he was like, I'm not going to just sit here and play cards. What do you? I mean, he he was getting the gravity of the situation, which I thought was very human, you know. And he goes to that kind of that. Metamorphosis of of going from you know scared out of his mind to finally going completely catatonic, <laughs> and then coming back as as a superhero in some degree, just out of his mind. But but not and and that, uh, I love that. Well, but I loved about that is that it was still believable because sometimes you yep. get that turn of a character like Josh, who's who's the nerdy guy, and you get a turn mm-hmm. in the character to where you're just like it's like too extreme suddenly he knows kung fu you know <laughs> yeah right right no but, i you know it's probably a not unnatural for some people to that they get so scared that they they just snap into a different reality of survival i mean 
it's it's a fight or flight um, response. And in that particular situation, he had just taken all that he could, and he had to go to a fight response to survive. Which, you know, does he or, or you know, did he? But um, you know, it was super. It was super f- fun working with him. It, you know, some of those scenes when he when he comes out of the uh, out of the shed with the you know with the with the Axe. with the tools you know the tools, yeah, yeah all of that you know and, and sitting there and and just on that chair and you know and and that and that one that one shot mm-hmm. um and i i mean i i just loved i really enjoyed him throughout the film because a lot of the rest of it like you said it was kind of heavy there was some there was uh, greg james was the opposite i mean he he went method on me and i didn't even talk to him i just ignored him i'm like i don't know, deal with this guy <laughs> he just uh went off the he, he really did. It was um, my executive producer goes, "What's wrong with Greg?" I'm like, "He's just he's gone method. Just ignore him." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other three are kind of heavy uh, characters, heavy uh, uh, male character, very manly uh, characters, uh-huh. uh, which I thought was interesting to see Josh within this group. But at the same time, uh, it, it didn't feel unnatural. They still felt like they knew each other for a while, and that these guys would still hang with one another, even if Josh wasn't quite like the rest of the group. Yeah. And, and not like teenagers where, you know, they're out for mischief and, 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 you know, there's sex in the woods and people die. It's more like, why would these guys at this age still be getting together for one of those kind of a drinking, smoking, having a, you know, a party. It's like, look, and and especially Michael's character where he's, he's very into his wife. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, you know, you, and and even Greg James character is, is obviously going through those, those problems. Johnny Lee is like the one playboy left. And, and, uh, you know, I, I remember Dan, Dan has a, a relationship too so it's an unlikely kind of group of of characters for a film like this for sure older and 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 basically an, an all-male cast yeah it, it 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 surprised me a bit in that but in a good way it was interesting because i think you've you've faced or you brought up a number of male topics or, or male themed topics that sometimes aren't exactly explored like they are here um, you know, in the film. So that, that surprised me too, quite a bit. I was like, Oh, that's, that's actually not, that's an interesting approach for that. Now the cabin in the woods thing we have seen before this location, yeah. uh, you, uh, you mentioned there were three cabins there and did you have this one in mind ahead of time? Did you have to scout it for a while or? Well, yeah, because normally, um, most everything I've shot has been in Oregon and mm-hmm. I, I have, I've, I grew up in Oregon. I know a, a ton of people. I know a ton of locations, but logistically it was easier to shoot it in Sacramento. So I had never shot in Nevada city, California. Um, but I just basically went on, you know, one of the, the, the either the, uh, air, well, it was probably Airbnb it was VRBO or something. And I was just looking for the right type of, uh, you know, cabin, in the woods. And I ran across that. I, the first one I found was perfect. It was a little bit further, uh, away. And I don't remember exactly where it was, but I was, it had three cabins and I was getting ready to go, uh, look at the location. And the owner called me or emailed me after like five different emails and said, Oh, by the way, what is the, uh, she said, what is the genre of the film? And I said, don't worry. It's not a porno. Cause I immediately thought that's what she would think, you know, right. Um, and, and she says, Oh, Oh, and I, 
She said, oh, I, I, I can't. Uh, it's a family cabin. I can't have a thriller kind of thing done oh. here. So <laughs> fortunately, I found this place in Nevada City, and it turned out that the uh, the owners uh, are actors, and they were like, we don't care. Whatever you want to do. So <laughs> it worked out great. Uh, it just worked out great. That's a great little town. It's an old gold mining town. It's right next, next to Grass Valley. Uh, if you ever get a chance to, to go there, it's it's very cool. It's it's a complete throwback in time. And I wish I could have used more of it, but I, all I really used was the cabins, which were up in the woods. So they were kind of remote. I was wondering how close to civilization yeah. you were, because... Well, we weren't we weren't far enough out um, to be completely isolated, um, and I think we were only on two acres. But you know, the beauty of having just what we had was you don't need a lot, you know, to fill the frame. And and we had there were some trails as you saw that they're walking through, and just by clever use and reverses of it and that type of stuff, you know, we kind of had plenty of uh, a location. I mean, there was dogs barking next door. We'd have to wait for there was you know the standard stuff, but. Yeah. Um, and, uh, there was also like a, a, a kid's camp that was right next door that fortunately we were, I think we shot December. So there wasn't anybody there. No. Thank God. But <laughs> that would have been, but yeah, locations like that are great because, and again, it held everybody. I mean, all the cast and crew stayed there for the entire 20 days or whatever we shot. Now the crew that you have, or, or the cast, I should say, we, we've talked about the four guys, but you also have two, a couple other characters in here, which, I will say it was a complete surprise, and they're an interesting take on the, uh, I guess, Sasquatch, you could say. Uh, were those in the script as well, or were those added later? You no, know, no, they were, they, were, they were in it, um, and they, they really weren't. I think Sam originally wrote it to, to where they were actually Sasquatch. Oh, okay. But then when I read it, I knew that when I when I read it, he said, "Well, I changed it because somebody told him, yeah, I wouldn't do the Sasquatch angle." Um, and I know I have had a little bit of feedback on like, "Oh, the monsters weren't very believable." The mo- I didn't care about the monsters. They yeah. were only there for one reason. Mm-hmm. Um, they were there to balance out to be the other antagonist, which is the external, um, uh, you know, conflict that was going on. Uh, that that was what completed that circuit, and so they were very insignificant to the story. Yeah, there's yeah. people in the woods that wanted to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all they were. That's all um, they were. But I like that they yeah, were. They were. I like that they weren't exactly uh, just your straight up hillbilly. But I also like the fact that they weren't straight up Sasquatch either, because that seems right. to have been a growing genre to right. where. There's a lot of Sasquatch horror out there now. <laughs> yeah, and it's a shame because I really wanted to do, after I did big, I wanted to do a Bigfoot film so bad because I grew up in the Northwest and it was right out my back door. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. to do a TV show and then Finding Bigfoot came online right as I was getting ready to shoot the pilots. And uh and then I thought, you know what? I'm going to re- I'm going to reshoot Big as a feature. Um, and then, uh, was it Eduardo Sanchez, uh, decided to do exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was him. Yeah. yeah it was, and then he was going to do a trilogy of them or something. I'm like, Oh God, well, you know, there's that. So I, I, I kind of left it alone, but I agree with you. I, I didn't want it to be Sasquatch. Of course, you know, Draper's character, um, you know, Josh kind of jumped to that conclusion, <laughs> which he was doing a lot, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know the the people with the, you know the bridge and the banjo and then you know I know what this is this is a Sasquatch and 
Um, but it's almost like that was just part of playing into the trope where you're going, oh, well, of course there's a Sasquatch. Well, of course there's monsters in the woods. Every time you go to a cabin in the woods, there's going to be monsters. I mean, that, there has to be, or else it's not a movie. So the manipulation of the internal conflict with Greg's character in that was was really what the story was, and it's almost a comparison between the monster within and the monster without, or the internal and the external monsters, which were basically two of the same. Because, as you know, Steve's character was, was I mean, yeah. screaming into the woods about it, you know, it being his kill. So... Um, this will all make sense when somebody watches this film, but, but I, I'm glad that I can point some things out because if you get stuck in a uh, expecting this trope to go like it, like they go, you're probably going to be disappointed because you're going to go, well, what was that all about? <laughs> but if you're just open and like, even like with the Setman, I, I made that film exactly the same way. Just be open to it. I mean, you never... When when Marlon Mason came in and hit her in the head with a frying pan and it bonged, I'm sure no one expected that. You know? no, I, and I mean, I demanded it. I remember my sound guy going, "You can't put the bong in there. It sounds like a cartoon." I go, "If that bong's not in there, we're just going to cut it because that's the only reason I want that in because it's so ridiculous." Yeah, you, um, you, you you need some of those moments occasionally. I don't think there's anything wrong with putting that in there at all. I'm all I'm always looking for them. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always thinking. Um, even even one of the first scenes we shot was with uh, with uh, Draper's character in bed where he wakes up and freaks out and runs out. Um, when um, him urinating himself was not in the script at all, and even though it was the first day of shooting, I thought we should have him doing that because he. I, mean, I go, how messed up would somebody have to be to do that? Right. I'm like, we need to do that, and I couldn't get it to practically work, so I had to do it VFX, but. Um, it, it was it, that was one of those things that came up that worked later because I had no idea. I didn't know how crazy he was going to go, right? Which, so I didn't know that until much later. But it was like making that call and taking that chance, and it worked later. You know, it was like far out, right? <laughs> glad glad you did that, right? Because. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm all yeah, and there, there's there's a lot of things you. I really make these movies that you have to watch them more than once. There's so much in Besetment that no one's going to ever catch. There's stuff I've hidden there. There's stuff that I've hidden this film, and unless you watch, I mean, think about the conversation Greg has at the bar on the cell phone. Right. That makes no sense unless you watch the film a second time, and then you're like, oh wow, well okay. <laughs> So, well, you know, I and like it, that because it added a, a darker element because on the second watch, you know what that conversation is. And you're just like, oh, man, <laughs> exactly. So for lack of and here's here's the challenge that I had was for the lack of doing like the sixth sense where you go back and show all of the reveals and go the ahas. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that. And so. You know, you you can't you. Ha- I really make these movies to be watched more than once. Yeah, I, I, I really I don't do. Think... And I have. I always thought that. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just saying, I don't think you need those aha moments all the time, uh, because one. Well, it, not it if you may... watch it twice. Yeah, not if you watch it <laughs> twice. It makes it really watch it twice, then you get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. But I think and... it also uh, adds to you thinking while you're watching. You know, uh, 
especially the second time around, it, it, it sparks, I think, the mind more and makes you think rather than holding your hand the whole time. I hope I get to one point. I've got my next film I'll probably do in the fall, which would be the third one, and then I'm, we'll see where we go after that. But um, I do hope that after, especially even after this one, is that when you watch a film that I make and you get used to watching them, it will be more like, well, where are the little tidbits and the extra bits and all of these fun things that go on? You, you know, you start looking for those. I mean, like a lot of directors, they have those signature things they do in a film that you're just waiting to see. Um, and you don't know what they are. And to me, the most fun is films that you do watch over and over again, like Lebowski or something like that, where you just pick up on, you know, this line or that line, and, and you never even thought of it as anything before. And, you know, you know, how's the smut bi- a business, Jackie? You know, that's a line that you just, it's not necessarily one of the top lines, but, you know, there's a lot in there. And the more you watch it, the more fun you get to have with the film. <laughs> that's always my goal. Yep. Well, I think you accomplished that, at least with the sentiment in here. Uh, it definitely looks like you're having fun making them. And I think they're fun to watch as well. And I, and I like the mixture of the humor and playing it straight humor. Um, I, I, that, that makes me, uh, you know, look forward to it, actually. After watching Besetman, right. when I was watching uh, Between the Trees, and I was like, oh, I wonder if he's... And, and then there was the joke, or there was, a you know, the, the kind of uh, Easter egg, and you're just like, oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that from you, Mark, because I, you know, there is a group of film uh, connoisseurs out there that are in kind of a sub that, that enjoy these lower budget subgenre type of films, and the, and and the, the the folks who like like them really really like them, and I, I I wish you know I wish I could really just reach that niche. That'd be fine with me, and and you know and then, and at least look, you got to build some kind of an audience. And and hope that you can, you know, keep have a big enough of an audience to support you doing another film. I don't need a lot of money. I would say, look, if I break even, I'm happy. It's fine. You know, it's it's it's, uh, you know, we don't spend a ton of money to make these movies, but it, you know, it would be nice. <laughs> you know, zero zero is a good number. What can I say? You know. Well, the production quality though is very high. I, I like. Thank that, you. You know, uh, on this, I was very surprised. Uh, uh, a little bit with considering the budget and the type of film it was, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it really looked uh, like a high, probably, you know, looked like a bigger budget than it probably was. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. with that, did you, um, as far as for posting that, did you have to do a lot of posts? Cause like night for day stuff and that. And yeah. And you know, and that stuff's all pretty much a giveaway. Anyhow, it's hard, you know, I'm like, and, and I think if I made any real technical flaws, it was like catching some, you know, the, the it was pretty like flat gray skies. And I thought that'll probably, you know, mm-hmm. that'll probably cover. Okay. And, and, and some of it's pretty obvious, but on the other hand, um, I, you know, I, I really love the eighties and seventies sure. horror films and you have to suspend, you know, some disbelief to get through it. And that's kind of our job as, as, as film viewers, you mean, you're, you know, just hopefully make it interesting enough to, to keep the attention of the viewer through it. Um, 
But w- w- coming off of the seven, which that was my first feature, and I learned a lot, and that's how you get better is you make a lot of mistakes. And going into this film was uh, there were production issues or uh, filming issues that I, w- I was not going to make a mistake on again. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, yeah, I, I, I paid very close attention to how every frame was shot, how every every, every scene was shot. Uh, and it's challenging sometimes when you're in a just a, a little cabin because you only have so many different angles. But um, you know, I, just experimenting with those and, and trying different things. But it, yeah, it was definitely on the front of my mind. It's like, do not screw up the production value. If you're going to do a second film, okay, so maybe you don't kill it on the story. Maybe not everybody gets it. Maybe it's going to be weak. And, and you know, you're always going to have some weak areas on these lower budget films. Don't let it be in production and don't let it be in sound. And I had Brandon Slavinsky and Evan Evans who scored the thing. Those guys did a crazy good job. And that made, so sound score and cinematography, like don't screw that up. And I did my best to, to, to really be loyal to that. And, you know, I mean, who knows the the rest of it, you know, that's all subjective. It it shows though because one of the first things I notice when I'm watching a micro budget film or a lower budget film or whatnot is the sound, and it's like you got mm-hmm. some great stuff here, but the sound if that's not right, oh, yeah. it can really throw you off. <laughs> It'll pull you out, and yeah. that's one thing that you always want to try to find objective screeners before you even release it. And in fact, I did that in Ashland, Oregon. I just rented a little theater and invited a bunch of friends. And I'm like, is there anything that pulls you out of the film? Um, of course, you know, you get a hundred reviews and you know, I don't care about those, but it's like, does anything pull you out? And sound will, will rip you out so fast and, and it's over. It's over right there. Bad sound. It's just a bad movie and people just will not. There's just a few things that they won't overlook and sound's definitely one of them. Yes. So. I know. I noticed that comes up quite a bit, and even for me, I, you know, I, I love everything in here, but that sound—it's just you notice yeah. that thing. I mean, it's it's part of the film. So unless you don't have any dialogue and you just have music, in which case, uh, then you can maybe get away with it a bit. But uh, I, I like right, the score right. that you had in here as well uh, for the scoring and that, did you have your composers in mind and, and did, you know, was there a certain type of sound, like something that sounds a little bit like more eighties, uh, classical or, or a little more modern? Uh, what did I, 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 I Evan Evans, I, I don't even know how I got in touch with him. Somehow we, we got connected and, and he seemed like more of a composer that I could afford. So I told him, I said, look, I, you know, here's basically what I have budgeted for sound. And it's not horrible, but it's not what these guys deserve. Um, but he, he's young and he's hungry and he's good. And he, he was, you know, he's willing to do it. And I pretty much, I think I had a few different things that I told him that I, I was interested in. And then he just shot it back to me and, and, and it was pretty much spot on. We had a couple little changes, but he, he really kind of, I thought he did a good job. I, you know, there, there's you working with artists. It's it's sort of a situation where, like, even if you hire a graphic artist and you say, well, they'll say, what are you looking for? And you're like, I don't know. Um, I don't. And you need to tell me what I'm looking for. I can. I have a few little ideas. Um, you know, Kubrick used to do that with his print guy. He goes, just make me a poster. You know what I want. You know what I like. And that's how he got his posters. 
when you find people that you like that, especially like, I'm like, look, you know, you know what the film needs. You're the pro do it. That's the best people in the world to work with because you got to tell everybody to do what, you know, like, Think about it. Actors, I don't tell them what to do. They bring me what they bring me. They're, they're who they are. Right. You know, I'm not going to change them. And that's why getting to a position where I'm like, let's change the dialogue to what fits you, because that just doesn't work. And then I get the best performances out of the actors. I'm like, change the characters and the, uh, fit the actors. Um, it's just a smart thing to do, and it involves them. And they have more at stake, not just the actors, but the composers, the sound people. Um, they have more at stake. Slavinsky, who did all the post sound, also came and, and ran sound on set, mm-hmm. which I thought was a brilliant idea because I thought, if you screw it up, then you can only <laughs> yell at yourself because sound is always yelling about, you know, set sound. So um, that, that, was a, that was a good idea, but it worked out well. But just, yeah, a really a lot of very talented people uh, on board uh, on all of this. Greg James is the editor. I mean, he's, you know, that's always a interesting thing is let your lead actor edit <laughs> you, know, you don't you don't know what you're gonna get but i why, thought he was pretty objective why are all the parts of you where's everybody else <laughs> <laughs> i'm like why are you cutting to you on the reaction why are we i don't get this you know but, but he uh he's actually very fair mm-hmm. um and i and and he i think he put yeah and greg and i work well together it's it, it we have a nice little click he he edited the segment as well it, with the editing um I did notice you do have a couple parts in there where it actually kind of fades to black and then come back at the scene. Uh, What was kind of the the, uh, motivation for that? Because it's a little bit different than what you normally see with a feature. I think what what is not happening there is forethought coming off a shot of what your transition is going to be coming onto your next shot. Sure. So if I come off the clock... And I transition into the another clock, or you know, or something like right. that. Sure. Those clever transitions, yeah, they're just you know, those just just better directors. <laughs> Truthfully, it was I, I, I. You will not see that happen in films uh, in the future. But I did have a very good uh, director friend of mine. Uh, we talked about those transitions. I'm like, well, how do you set up for them? Because you know, uh, normally when you dip the black, it's you're, you're essentially saying day three, right? Day four, you know, you're kind of going with that without without saying it. Um, yeah, that's one of those things that I, I think that I look to improve in the future. Well, it, I'm just it, being honest with you. No, that's that's okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to defend, you know, what, what was not done extremely well um, because I know what those are. But mm-hmm. uh, but that's definitely yeah, it's good catch. Yeah, uh, but it did. It still did give the passage of time that and. When they'd have coffee in the morning, which was it actually that cold out? So yeah, it was, it, we shot in Dece- we shot in December. Because I noticed those porch, uh, a couple of those porch scenes, you could actually see the people's breath. So, oh yeah, yeah, it was cold. I mean, it was just, it was December up there, mm. and um, you know, the days were pretty good, but the mornings and nights got got pretty cold. We don't didn't have a lot of rain. I think in the very ending scene there, I think you can hear the rain outside. And I think we added some uh, thunder sound effects, so that kind of worked out, but. Yeah, it was cold. I mean, it's it's up in the mountains. It's it's uh, there's snow there right now. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, I'm, I guarantee I'm f- you. Familiar with snow, that's for sure. Uh, yes, you are. <laughs> so, if uh, for between the trees, and uh, and I think we'll wrap it up here a little bit with uh, with the film. But w- if there's one thing you'd like people to kind of take away from the film, what 
what would it be for Between the Trees? Well, like we talked about trope bending, Mm -hmm. it's probably my favorite thing to do. And between besetment to this one, I think I stayed pretty true to that. Um, and I'm stylistically delivering a film that's, that's just different. I mean, I'm really, my DNA is all over it because I do those things. I, I throw in those little extra shots and like, why is that there? That's, that's bizarre. Why would that happen? Um, I do that on, I do that on purpose because I want to engage the, the, it's almost viewer abuse to some degree, (laughs) but when you're a director and you're the, you're the, the producer and the director and you control all of the strings, you can do those things. You know, you, you're, you're, you're in, in, you know, it's like being a bit of a film god because you do make those decisions. You know, like I'm going to do this, and I know this sounds crazy, but I think this is going to be either hilarious or have some quirky impact to the film. And I, I just hope that that, and from what I've seen from most people that really that that have liked both of these films, is they've enjoyed that part of it. So it's not just. You know, yeah. It's granted the, the trope is different. It's a, it's a subgenre. It's you know more like a a, a chocolate and 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 uh, vanilla mix. But then there's also other things in there. And I know that can be confusing. But like I said earlier, if you just kind of don't watch the trailer, don't pay attention. Just just have a drink or whatever you do and watch the movie and just let it happen. And I think you'll have a really good time. And that's most importantly. I do make these so they're just a lot of fun. And that's that's an important bit, and I, I really respect that because uh, I think some, and not saying all, but some indie filmmakers make films and they're making certain decisions that they know absolutely that, oh, this is going to get me, you know, distribution or, or specific right, circles right. or whatnot. But in Hollywood, I think, forgets this too, is that at its core, films are supposed to entertain uh, yes. You know, yes, absolutely. And I think people, especially in, in the culture today, and I've had many discussions with some of my film friends and, and critics and makers and that, and that it, it seems like a, a large group of people out there have kind of forgotten that these are just to entertain. They might have warts, mm-hmm. they might be imperfections, but at the end, did mm-hmm. you leave with a smile? Did you feel entertained? And I felt that way with, uh, you know, both your films, uh, you know. I appreciate so, that, Mark. And uh, I appreciate that you get it, and I'm glad that we reconnected <laughs> to have a chat about this one. And I am, too. And uh, speaking of uh, films, what do you have on deck or what you got coming up that we should keep an eye out for? Well, I can't even, I can't even begin to explain it. Sure. But it's definitely probably my, my most... To this point, it's one of the craziest things, and it's simple, but it's crazy, and I think, so I really can't tell you. But I I, I will, as soon as I have something um, that, you know, that I could explain it where it made sense, but it's going to be wacky and crazy and more of the same insanity. (laughs) That's for sure. Well, I think we'll definitely look forward to that. Uh, and is there a place where people can keep up with on uh, current films that are out there as well as other stuff uh, that is going on? We have uh, barbedwirefilms.com, and then, of course, on Facebook, there's Barbed Wire Media. They were just kind of intertwined. It was the same company. Um, and then uh, Between the Trees is on Facebook as well, and, and 
you can follow follow along with whatever we've got going on there. And we're pretty good about keeping stuff posted on that. Yeah, it uh, it seems like uh, things are pretty up to date there as well. So there you have it, folks. I'll have links for those as well in the description of this uh, video on the website. So, uh, Brad, I just want to thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about your uh, film. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to your uh, next project. Well, I am too because you know they are a lot of fun, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. uh, with with all of the great people I work with. But uh, and thank you for taking the time to talk to independent filmmakers and review these films. You're a hardworking guy, and I want you to know we all appreciate you out there. Well, well, thank you very much, Brad. I, uh, I, I that's very kind words. I just I just enjoy film, and uh, I'm glad I get a chance to talk to you folks as well about it because it's always an interesting conversation and a perspective that I think people uh, need to hear because they they just consume the Hollywood stuff and don't realize there's this huge other group of individuals just making film and uh, yeah so I appreciate your time sir very much and uh, thank you Mark I I think we'll call it a night you have a great one We'll, we'll talk to you we'll talk to you next film uh, definitely. Yep. Your next film, uh, we'll make a slot for you and uh, talk to you again. You got it. Thanks, Mark. Take care.